Hey, Real Talk listeners. Today on the podcast, we had Reverend Ian Wildeboer. He is a pastor at Mercy Christian Church in Hamilton. Uh, Mercy is a uh, mission plant church from Blessings Christian Church. And formerly, he was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. So we talked about uh, church, the missionary church, cultural attitudes in the West, uh, individualism, consumerism, these types of ideas. And it was a very interesting conversation. We learned a ton from uh, Pastor Ian. So it was uh, fascinating to have him on. We talk about different attitudes we have in the church toward mission, more traditional approaches and more uh, newer approaches for the 21st century, uh, kind of the conflict between those two things. It was fascinating. It was informative. And uh, yeah, I think it raised a lot of good questions too. So we hope you enjoy it. Uh, please send us your feedback as well. Without further ado, here is Pastor Ian Wildeboer. Pastor Ian, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, uh, guys. Uh, I've been watching some of your podcasts, and I, I actually did a Google search today. Oh, boy. And to say, <laughs> under real talk, and I realize you have a lot of competition out there. For oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so I thought, well, you guys are the real real talk. Yeah, uh, yeah. The uh, reformed real talk. Yeah, the yeah, reformed yeah, yeah, real, real, so. yeah. 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 real talk. Yeah. For sure. So you're a uh, your pastor at Mercy Church, mm -hmm. Mercy Christian Church in Hamilton here. Um, so today we're going to be talking about mission and um, yeah, the church and mission, mm -hmm. which is a subject you're very familiar with, obviously. Mm -hmm. So I thought perhaps let's just start off, like tell people who you are, what you're about, what's going on at Mercy and what's happening in Hamilton. Okay. So my name is Ian Wildeboer. Yeah, that was easy. <laughs> yeah, that was easy. That's <laughs> the easy part. Yeah. Uh, been a pastor at Mercy only for a year now, but a pastor under blessings now for two okay. years. So Mercy is not an instituted church gotcha. as our particularized church yet. Right. Um, so before that, my wife and I and our children were in Papua New Guinea. We were there for uh, about 12 years almost. Wow. Then coming time. back. And uh, I do feel a little bit like, you know, looking at the cultural situation here and, yeah. and mission and ministry here in Canada, kind of like going to a Walt Disney World and coming back and telling people, you know, um, this is what it was all like, you know, because right. it's very right. difficult yeah. to kind of capture something so big as you know our cultural moment right now in history in canada and to yeah. articulate that in the form of mission but i'm learning and and so you know i, I say this in connection to the fact that we're planting a church in east hamilton uh and that began in um september of 2019 so last year but before that um we we took it we took it from a missional point of view i guess to say that we wanted to um have a church in Ham east hamilton that was reformed theologically reformed church that was really connecting to the community that we need to be in. And so I actually had an intern from Redeemer for about four months. Okay. And this is from 2018, like the fall of 2018. And just to survey every neighborhood from James street, if you know, Hamilton, James street, all the way over to Centennial. And there's a number of neighborhoods in there, uh, probably approaching yeah. 21 or something. Okay. Wow. And just to check out the dem demographics, where was there a need for the gospel? What what was already happening in that neighborhood? And, you know, where did the Lord really want us to land to begin um, a church planning initiative? Gotcha. And um, we came down with, came out with three that we felt, you know, the Lord could lead us to these three. And then um, we had a team by then and we just prayed and waited on the Lord to, to kind of lead our hearts. And, and then we had a vote and unanimously we, we voted on McQueston. The McQueston neighborhood is bounded by Barton, uh, Parkdale, Red Hill and Queenston. So yep. that, that neighborhood. Right. And then we waited on the Lord. And so we felt we were led there and we waited on the Lord then to find a facility for us 
um, to begin a, a church there because we really felt that he wants us there for a number of reasons. Um, it's a rival city. There's a lot of refugees, landed immigrants there, yeah. uh, a lot of lone parents, a lot of poverty. I think maybe you've read my papers. Yeah, yeah. Um, you kind of get the demographics of that area, yeah. um, a great need for the gospel there. And so we, um, you know, we waited on the Lord and we prayed that God would find a facility for us. And people were saying, well, there are churches available on Barton Street like that are vacant. There are churches available all the way down towards James Street. Why are you so focused on this neighborhood? Right. And the answer was, well, we really feel that the Lord led us to here. And we really feel that this is where we need to be. Uh, and the Lord opened two amazing doors for us. One that um, we found a facility, a banquet hall on Melvin Street, which is just uh, north of Barton. And the other that we also found a, a place to rent, um, what we call now the Mercy Center. It's a 2,000 square foot uh, office building, I guess, or a plaza, okay. strip plaza. And we have a, a space there where my office is. And it's going to be a drop-in center, a place gotcha. for discipleship and classes and that. That's cool, and God answered two, uh, we think, large prayers, big prayers, you could say, yeah. to get us into that neighborhood. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things that we did right from the very beginning to say, okay, if the Lord wants us to be in that neighborhood, um, we need to practice what we call a theology of presence. And a theology of presence is basically, you know, um, we live in a very relational age, um, kind of truth propositions kind of coming to tongue and saying, you know, you need to repent and believe. Um, it's difficult in our, in our age. We need to come along, come alongside them. We need to build that relationship, build that trust, and then share the gospel. Um, maybe different than maybe 50 years ago where people had kind of a, a truth understand or an understanding of the gospel. Yeah. Um, and so we've tried to encourage that, uh, that theology of presence to be in that neighborhood. And one of that, one of those things is to actually move in. So right, a, few, yeah. a number of people have moved in and I keep encouraging people to prayerfully consider moving in and probably talk about that later. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, sure. But uh, we really see that we want to do life with the, the community that God has called us into to walk with them. Right. To point them to Christ and then to a community of worshiping believers that right. I would love to love them. Can so. you compare and contrast that a little bit with with what you did, what you the work you've done in P and G, um, where you're talking about being part of the community um, and also how difficult it is to to do that mission and, and the context that you're doing that mission in here, as opposed to there, where I think you've said that it's it's much easier to preach, it's much easier to to get the message out. Mm -hmm, for sure. I think uh, that, that was some of the things I had to learn right off the top that um, Papua New Guinea, of course, is much more relational, much more community focused, much more event focused. Yeah, right. Um, and subsequently, you know, if you have about a two hour window or three hour window of, you know, show up time, as long as you get to the event at some point, right. um, whereas here we're kind of cut down to about five minutes. If you're late, I kind of like I was late this afternoon. <laughs> you know, I felt pressure. Whereas in Papua Guinea, I wouldn't feel pressure. Oh, um, yeah. You should have felt pressure. But no, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you guys are kind, but, um, but that, that kind of living outside, living communally, always kind of needing each other allows you the opportunity to always be engaging, engaging with people. Right. And because um, they don't mind identifying as Christian, as a Christian nation, but also as Christian, though I think many of them, it's a veneer, it's not. Deep, yeah, right. right, right. Um, you can immediately enter into a, a kind of a gospel discussion with people. Right. You know, what do you, how do you understand Christ or where is your, what's your relationship with Christ right now? Are you attending the church? That kind of thing. Um, and so subsequently we could go into a market and everybody goes to markets in the evening, which okay. is because they, most of them live subsistently. So we would enter a market, set up our, our 
heads speakers and headset because i spoke off a headset right. and amplify the the preaching and preach for an hour hour and a half wow. sometimes to you know 200 sometimes all the way up to 500 like, like people. any day of the week any day of the week really wow. together any day of the week and just start preaching crowds, eh? oh huge crowds and um so the opportunity to do that there kind of become part part of my psyche part of my ethos yeah. like this is how i do mission right i i mean just full engaged engaged in in the gospel you come back here and everybody is in their homes, uh, living very individualistic lives and, and busy and, and yeah. busy, yeah. time oriented, yeah. consumeristic. You yeah. have to do that in a skate park off Burton. Or off well, of yeah, I mean, there is that community there still. And that's what you need to find those areas where there is community right. and then kind of connect. And that's what we've tried to do is say, okay, here, here congregation, here are those community areas. Um, tap into them, become part of that community. And there you'll have an opportunity to witness. Right. Um, it, it's just harder here. Yeah, it, it needs much more prayer and intentionality. Right. Whereas there, you can build that community quickly. It doesn't mean that the community that you're building is gonna, you know, all turn to Christ or be effective and strong and healthy. That that whole work is just the same. People are sinners. People fall short of the glory of God. Yeah. You know, yeah. we all need grace, and there's a lot of conflicting voices. But, um, but the opportunity just to enter into a culture and once you understand the culture to engage with the gospel is much easier, right. was much easier in Papua New Guinea than here. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. Interesting. Maybe we can talk about like the structure of mission. Um, I guess. So you were sent there by Papua, uh, to Papua New Guinea mm-hmm. by a, a church mm-hmm. from North America. Was it Hamilton? No, actually it was from uh, Western Australia. From Western Australia. We have sister church relations. Okay. Yeah. From church, uh, sister church relations with gotcha. the Free Reformed Church of Australia. Okay, cool. So the church that set, what was the calling church was Armadale. Okay. Uh, Free from church. Nice. Okay. Oh, so yeah. point being the same structure though. They yeah, send, they sure. send you, right? Yeah. And you, and you just went there like your family, like, yeah, I guess, did you have mm. kids even at that point? One. One kid. Yeah. And you just went there, no other support or just like you, your wife and your child. Yeah. And there was another mission worker there at okay. the time. Yeah. yeah. And then you just do your thing and hope to build the church and, mm-hmm. and do Report that back and, and yeah. they just mm-hmm. give you encouragement and yeah. funds and kind of oversee everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's. Now versus a mercy. So you guys have, uh, yeah, it's not an instituted church, I guess, like formal. We're moving towards institution. Yeah, exactly. But then you take uh, some existing uh, congregants. Like mm-hmm. how, how big is the church at mercy? One, oh, 150, 160 okay. now. Cool, yeah. cool. So yeah, you, anyways, point being, you take some members and yourself as a pastor, and then you start a neighborhood. Um, yeah, I guess maybe compare those two uh, strategies perhaps and mm-hmm. and why the difference uh, given the different scenarios maybe. Yeah. So um, in some sense, both are church planting, can be defined as church planting. Right. Um, when we went to Papua New Guinea, uh, there was a bit of an um, church planting and church revitalization. I think those two are, are okay. often quite right. close together. Yeah. So we went to Papua New Guinea. There was a, a kind of fledging small group of uh, believers in a church um, in a city called Lay. And I was called to be their missionary. They had an evangelist there that was a national evangelist, but he was struggling a little bit. And so they wanted that support. Um, so going there um, as, as, as a family, you're really doing kind of everything at the beginning to kind of get that the ball rolling, though there was an elder already in place right. and a deacon. So that was wonderful. And I had the missionary mission worker there to kind of give me some yep. support. He moved to a different area. So I had, I had the focus of this congregation. I think, I think there it was um, take any opportunity to preach the gospel mm-hmm. and allow Christ to form the church through the preaching of the gospel. Right. 
which um, he did. And um, the community continued to grow. So we would go into the settlements, into the, the kind of slums, and right. that's where we did a lot of our ministry and then invite them to the, to the church on, on Sunday. And over time, they came and the church slowly built. Um, here, yeah, I think, you know, there's two, basically two models to kind of land in a certain area and plant a church. The one model is to just move in that kind of a, a parachute model of sorts where you just move into that area as a mission missionary, as a church planner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you begin on your knees and you just wait on the Lord to open doors yeah. and you start from a very small number. Um, for some people that works, I think, I, you know, I'm, I'm biased now. So <laughs> I think it's a better model to have um, actually a larger group of people. Okay. One of the issues that you have, if you just go parachute in and then you have maybe two or three families join you uh, quite quickly, at least in our context, you can have a burnout and fatigue, yeah. uh, compassion fatigue, they call it. and um, the distribution of responsibilities to a larger group of people is always easier. The difficulty is when you have a larger group of people that are moving into a particular area to say, okay, we really want to plant a church here, yeah. is that not everybody has grabbed hold of the vision the same way as you wish they had. Right. Okay. And, and I'm not saying this is a critique against the Mercy members. You know, I love them and, and there's buy-in uh, by most of the members. But to say that you know, it takes more convincing um, when you have a larger group of people to yeah, kind right. of move two or three people or to move 40 or 50 that people. Makes yeah. It just, makes sense across the board, even in any church. In the corporate yeah. world or whatever, yeah. you know, wherever yeah. you have vision and you want to do something. Yeah. But the benefits still outweigh the cost where the benefit is to say, well, we have a number of people who are passionate about what we're doing in East Hamilton, really want to see the gospel take root there, love the community. We can share the responsibility. And not only that, you know, God has blessed his church with, gifts right and and so you have a distribution of gifts you know people with good av or, or videography yeah, uh, people right. are really good at um evangelism or whatever so you kind of pull that resource and so i you know i compare myself to a church that didn't in a number of church plants don't always make it of course but a church planner who is struggling with a small group of people in just on the other side of stone church uh, story <laughs> red hill and um and they've had to fold because you know, the families are like, oh, I'm tired. I burnt out. Uh, there's not enough kids in here for my for my kids. I need a yeah. church with right. us, this program or that yeah. program, whatever the case may be. And it's disbanded. And I feel really sorry for him because mm-hmm. his passion was the same as mine. But I think he had less people to kind of distribute the, the right. responsibility. So how does Mercy avoid that happening? So then? we have a larger group. Yeah. So we have, we came in, so we had a sign up. Um, at Blessings when we wanted to move over and about 100 people, uh, including children, signed up. Yeah. And that's that's a critical, that's quite a large number. Some people mm-hmm. say it's too large. You should say around 40 or 50, whatever. Um, the 100 has helped in that, yeah. allowing that kind of shared responsibility yeah. to be laid upon the congregation. Yeah. Um, so I'm a bit biased to that approach now. Right. I say if we're going to do another church plant, take, take, take a critical mass. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Move into an area, love that area, serve that area, minister mm-hmm. in that area, share the responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. But not everybody can do that. Not everybody has that number of people. The Orthodox yeah. Presbyterian Church usually doesn't move with that kind of group. They would probably move maybe with ten or twenty, right, right, or less. Right. And they have very small churches subsequently. Yeah, it's a challenge. Which is a challenge, and it's yeah. possible. And they, maybe they're going to critique me and say, "Well, that's actually a better model." Uh, again, I'm biased because it, this model's working. Yeah, is it a practical thing, or do you think there's some sort of scriptural? guideline on that that's an interesting point is it a practical thing or is there a theological uh, 
position from that. I, I don't think it's it's there's a theological. I could not. Yeah, I'm like, trying to think of like what Paul. Yeah, I mean, Paul's no, not Paul, a, Paul's like, a missionary. Paul's just like I'm gonna do it myself. <laughs> yeah, sorry. He just, you know, we're, we're there, he, he's not gonna yeah. go there. He's gonna yeah. go somewhere where, where Christ has not been yeah. named. So. Um, for sure, Paul would, Paul's approach was to, to go into a new area, and, and missionaries in the past have done the same thing. Just go in, yeah. but yeah. you know, if you have, if you're going to try to create a, a, a community of believers that can be that can embrace another community of unbelievers or non affiliates, um, having that critical mass is helpful. Right. And I think also we need to realize we live in a cash economy, and that. Um, we're not bivocational at this point. Maybe we should be as missionaries or church planners, but um, you know, there's also the financial component to it to say, mm-hmm. how, how do we, how do we maintain the things that we want to do here with a budget? If yeah. there's only 10 people right. yeah. or five people. So yeah. there's that, there's that element as well. So oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like a million ways we can go from there. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. This is good. Uh, I like when we talk to smart people, they just like open so many doors for conversation. Yeah. Um, so, I think I kind of want to f- dig into um, what is a missional church. I think like a lot of people say um, their church is, is becoming missional. Um, mm-hmm. Is that something that's like defined in your mind? Is something that's different than the status quo in our federation? Is that something that's just an extension of of the, I guess, reform thought? Reform thought how sure. how church has been done, you know, traditionally in our federation or is that something completely different that we're bringing something new to it or you know i don't know if you can expand on that I, yeah so there's maybe there's open the, question <laughs> yeah so there's so much um discussion around the word missional and, and in fact actually it's invoked a lot of emotion um which i don't think is a bad thing i think you know um let's get passionate about things yeah, people so, are engaged it's good and people are engaged and they're engaged on both sides of the coin like yeah. one's engaged you know missional is is the word of the day yeah um it's gonna have a long shelf life just get yeah. used to it um it's part of our dna now as a church etc yeah. um so this is who we are the other part the other side of the coin says no we shouldn't even be using the word um it pits you know a more traditional church against a missional church or um, the church is not missionless gospel or mm-hmm. it's Christ-centered or, right. or whatever. And, and and so I'm kind of, kind of ambivalent really about the word. At the end of the day, um, the church is about transformation. It's about people changing, people becoming more like Christ and Christ being glorified in what he's doing and bringing a community together that loves yeah. him. So um, I can be a little bit ambivalent there, except to say <laughs> I will still yeah. probably use the word for the right. next while. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's going to be replaced quickly. So is that like a branding choice that you're making? Well, I don't know if it's a branding choice. It's an intentional choice to say um, what we need to kind of set the foundation to what does missional mean sure. to say that why I'm actually wanting to continue with the word choice. Right. And I think that any church that really is um, living in a post-Christian era in particular, but any church since the, since Pentecost um, should have a missional character to it, a missional reality should just be part of it. It just, it just didn't take, traction uh during the the christendom um time since you know well since uh, 400 500 years uh after christ you know it, it didn't really gain traction until the last 100 years and in particular the last 30 or 40 years it really gained traction as a missional church the word missional has been used before in the history of mission so i think we need to understand that there's kind of four reasons why the word missional i'm gonna this is where I'm going to get a little bit long-winded. Let's go, go off, um, Professor. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. And you can <laughs> just, you can just talk, talk, tell me to 
to slow down or to stop. Um, but there's kind of been four factors that has kind of caused the rise of the word missional. I think the first one is a situational factor. And when we talk about situational factor is, you know, when um, for the longest time, um, it was always been the West sending missionaries to the South or to the global South or whatever, um, the, uh, the unconverted, the heathen, you, you could say. Yep. And, 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 and that was happening from, you know, England, Europe, but also from America and Canada. And subsequently, you know, we were seen as, you know, the holders of the gospel and it became, it's part of our, you know, um, almost our constitution that we are yeah. as a country, we are a gospel, a Christian country sure. and we were sending yeah. to the non-Christian world. That's interesting because that's not where it came from. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> right. instituted on it, but that's right. It's not. We sure were the last ones established. So, well, that's, yeah. that's interesting from our, from our point of view, um, as a Canadian reform church, we're, we're quite new to this, to the Canada, but the, the reality was that missionaries started coming back and seeing a real cultural gap. So although there might have been a Christian heritage and the, 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 the effects of Christendom are still felt in our country, you know, we, we experienced that. Um, but there was, a, there was a gap. The church had now over the last 30 or 40 years and growingly so become marginalized. We were on the outside looking in mm -hmm. before we we're on the inside looking out. Um, and subsequently, we've kind of lost our voice in the public square. We um, are exiles within our own country. And Peter talks about, you know, being aliens in this yep. world. And, and we've also really experienced that now in the mm -hmm. West. Like, yeah, yeah, we are aliens. But subsequently, we've come back and, and, and men like Leslie Newbegin and others have, have really pushed this to say, well, how do we make, um, how do we understand the church in, in a post-Christian, post-Christendom world? How, what's the place of the church now? And if right. you look around, um, we live in a very non Christian secularized postmodern world oh, yeah. where the gospel mm. um, has seemingly less and less traction. And so right. it's a mission field. Oh, yeah. Sum that up. Yeah, it's a mission field. Yep. And, and that's become the situation that we're in. We're living in this world that, you know, more people believe um, in UFOs than are, than are atheists, accordingly, according to some um, research in America. You know, people are looking for spirituality. Some identify as atheists, some identify as agnostics, some identify with this kind of, I believe in UFOs. Um, <laughs> but subsequently, people are lost. Right. And a sense of loss of meaning yeah. has, has just kind of pervaded our culture now. So that's the situation to say, okay, now what does the church do about that? Right. And, and that fueled a sense of, okay, we need to think missionally. We need to think that not just the, the pastor is now having to kind of influence this this cultural norm but the church at large the members of the church need to be influencers need to be ambassadors need to carry that message forward so it engages everyone that's the situation that you know kind of spawned this literature around missional and Leslie Newbegin of course is one of the forefathers but also John Stott um you know some people will talk about David uh, Bosch um and others and then they followed up with Keller and Goheen mm -hmm. and um, Setster, um, different gentlemen who have kind of pushed the, the missional uh, discussion. I think at bottom, though, it's a theological one. And, and the reason why people are at most um, have the most angst around the word missional is not because of its situation, not even because of its uh, missiological kind of reality, which yeah. I think is easily defensible. It's because they're questioning whether it has a theological foundation. Right. Yeah. And 
And I understand the 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 apprehension there. And and I just want to articulate this without getting too long-winded on this, <laughs> that the theological kind of framework that spawned this missional kind of movement um, surrounds the the uh, kind of a change in how we identify where mission fits. It has always fitted within the, in the ecclesiology, within the doctrine of the church. It's a component of the church um, to do mission. And, and, and it still is and it has to be. You know, the mm-hmm. church oversees mission. But yeah. they've also said it's also connected to the doctrine of God. Okay. And there people are saying, okay, be careful here. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, and, and so they say, well, it's, if it's part of the doctrine of God, is it an attribute? Is, hmm. is, is mission an attribute of God? Is God a missionary God? And if it's an, if, if God's a missionary God, is that, is that part of his character? Is that part of who he is? And, and, and John Stott has a chapter in one of his books, God, God is a missionary God. So it, it kind of took, um, took traction, I guess, in the, in the seventies already. Hmm. Um, and, and I, and I would say, yes, and to some degree, we, God is a missionary God. He is ascending God. He sends um, he sends his word out. He he sends out his prophets. He then sent out his son. Um, the son in, in John fifteen talks about sending the Holy Spirit. Uh, then Jesus sends out his church, and he and the Holy Spirit equips us to go out. And there's this real sense that there's this movement abreast that God wants us to participate in His work of bringing the gospel to the nations. And it's his his prerogative. That's why they call the missio dei, the mission of God, to bring this gospel out. The challenge I have with that is, in Reformed theology, at least, we don't see that as a defined, definitive yeah. attribute of God. Mm-hmm. What we do see in in Reformed theology, of course, is you know the communicable and incommunicable attributes. We talk about love as as a defining attribute of God, and I would like to frame mission under under love. So I don't mind moving it, you know, in discussion to the doctrine of God, right? I wouldn't say it's an attribute of God per se, but love is. Mm-hmm. And what does love do? Love motivates action. And so we see in John 3, 16, you know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only yes. one. Mm-hmm. So the sending character of God, if you want to call that, is driven not as, it's not as a, a primal, a, a primary character, but as a secondary one to the, to the love of God. God loves this world. God loves um, his chosen people. And he sends out the gospel. He sends out his ambassadors. Right, right. That's the theological framework. And so the, the the issue that people have is, well, if you move from an attribute of God, then you move into the missio dei, the mission of God. And that has now created a kind of a social gospel, you know, where God is working. And then we will kind of move into that area. Maybe I can just press pause on this for a sec, because this is really good. We're getting into it here. Um Maybe we can just back up for a second. Mm. You touched on like, this is good and this is all like highbrow theological stuff. But I'm wondering if um, if we take it back to just a more uh, basic level, you talked about the tension that exists between people who are, um, uh, how should I say this? Like the missional movement, they see that and um, they're kind of concerned. They they see the change going on. There's lots of good change there, but maybe some people might have reason for concern as well. because we talked about uh, how the church uh, is reacting to a changing world, but you also mentioned that mission has been part of the church's mandate uh, throughout time, right? So I guess I'm wondering um, how much does the church need to change uh, because of what's happening in the world in terms of getting more secular and whatnot? And how much is it just um, the church is always being the church and maybe it's uh, just a bit more bringing out that side of it without, um, 
without altering the church, like the foundation of kind of what's the church is being changed upon seems to be predicated on, all right, the world has done this. Now the church will react, but shouldn't the church uh, start with the church, maybe with, with scripture and then go from there. I don't know if that made sense to you. Yeah. So basically what, what, what's moving, what, what's driving, what well, that's what I want to want. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So um, if we understand the need that, um, that the gospel needs to go to the nations and that we are participating in this work of sharing the gospel with the nation. Um, and God's people have always been part of that commission. Um, so already, and I need to get back to this framework just so that we understand mm-hmm. okay. where, where is the place of the church in all of this? Yep. God's people have always been a worshiping community that um, has served a kind of a priestly role in this world. And that priestly role is to, to, you know, to show the holiness of God, to live out that holy character of God um, in our lives, but also to intercede for this world, to kind of pray for this world, to, to pray for our, our nation and to, and to share that the goodness of God with a, with a lost and, and, and broken world. And I think what's happened in the history of the church is sometimes we've kind of relegated that or de- designed that just merely for the minister and the, in the missionary and maybe a few elders. And not seeing every member as participating in this kind of call to mission. And the missional movement has said, no, the church's identity, it's, the, the, the missional movement is not very now focused on global expansion. It, re- it is. But because right. the gospel needs to be planted locally, everywhere locally, locally yeah. it's, it's about our identity. How do you identify as, as a follower of Christ. And what does that mean for you in your day-to-day life? And so, you know, John Stott talks about, you know, make every vocation kind of a ministry opportunity. See your vocation as an opportunity to be a, an ambassador for Christ. Hasn't that always been true though? it, It has been on paper and in theory, but the corrective, the missional word is just a corrective. Okay. And, and the corrective is that we've kind of, um, somewhat separate those realities to say, okay, this is my Christian life. This is my church life. This is what I do on Sunday. Yeah. But Monday through Saturday has not been characterized by a sense of mission. It's been characterized right. by me fulfilling my requirements to make money for my family, look after my you know wife and children, for example, sure. um, have fun on, on the weekend and, and go to church again on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I'm being a little bit pedantic there, but yeah, the, yeah. the reality is that that that's, has shaped our identity. And, and the missional movement says, no, we need to see that we're participating in something much bigger than that. And God is calling us, each one of us, to action. So when you look at the whole idea of missional, it's not to say, you know, oh, we have a budget li- line here that says evangelism or a budget line that says foreign mission. In, in some sense, you kind of want to get away from that budget line called evangelism to say, you know, we're all engaged. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all part of the same story of sharing the gospel in our, in our life, in our vocation. And so really, it's just a calling out to say, stop thinking about mission as an appendix to the church and start thinking about mission as something that identifies us as a follower of Christ. Right. We are sent ones. Right. And ascending is into a broken, lost, meaningless for many people because of yeah. the postmodernism, yeah, yeah. meaning this world. Right. So, so is it, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so I'm trying to understand the difference between, uh, so the world change and the church has always had, um, we agree on this, the church has always had this missional uh, section or mm-hmm. I would, you know, part of being a church is, is being missional in your daily duties and, and whatnot. So it seems like it's more of a tweak based on uh, the world getting much more secular and, and postmodernism and letting just 
being, I guess, a bit more uh, yeah, measured or, or just being intentional. Obvious, intentional yeah. That's yeah. part of the word I'm looking for. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, think so, it, yeah, go yeah. ahead. So the context of like, we, you said post-Christian uh, world, which is, I think it's a, I mean, it's a great term. I don't think it's a great thing. I think mm-hmm. it's a, a great way to describe, you know, where we've been in history and then where we are now. And I think that, I guess this context now emphasizes um, the struggle that the church has had to adapt to that. Um, I just wanted to touch on, because the, the term is, I mean, like you said, it's like, I don't like terms. It's like, it's just a word. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough to bring out a whole meaning in the context of this, this one word. Um, we're called to be a witness as, as a church. And then like Israel was called the witness to the nations. Um, the new, you know, the um, new Testament church was called to be a witness to um, I guess in their context mm-hmm. as a new church to, to witness. And I guess does, I'm just thinking in, in someone's view is, is, a, is the word witness and the word mission um, two different nuanced ways of looking at what the church is doing or in your mind, does kind of that command just put an exclamation mark on, you know, the church's role and mission or their, that, you know, attribute of what the church is. And then also as an individual. Yeah, I, I, I think I think it's probably the exclamation mark in some ways. I, see, what's what's happened is is that all, all the missional movement has done is to say we need to think very seriously about what it means to live in a post Christian culture with a gospel that the the the, the culture needs that the people right. in this culture need. So how, how do we how do we translate that? Now it, it affects things. So yes, it's an exclamation mark, but it's very intentional a very intentional exclamation mark. Right. Um, it might affect how you do church. Yeah, for it sure. Might, it mm-hmm. certainly should affect how you do your, how you live your life. For sure. That if you always see yourself as a, you know, replace missional with gospel. If you always see yourself as presenting the gospel or living out that gospel reality, um, it, it should affect how you drive the roads. You know, sometimes I have to repent for, you know, <laughs> um, speeding or whatever, but um, you know, how it, how it affects how you integrate, engage with the teller, how it affects you, how it affects uh, or affects every part of your life. Right. But when it comes to church as well, what does it mean to be missional? What does it mean to be a church that's engaging the culture without losing its core identity? Right. And I think that's where like mercy is, has, that's where the mercy is. is kind of poised to, um, and, and blessings also as, as your mother church, I suppose, is they're kind of poised in our federation to, have a good influence in the way that we view all these things. And I guess we'll get, we'll get deep into what you're doing in the context of what we're doing and stuff. Um, I just think that what we can learn from what you guys are doing in, because we've always been preached at Mm -hmm. or preached at preached to that, you know, you should live it out in your life. Mm -hmm. We should talk to our neighbors. When you talk to your neighbor, ask them, find out about their, what they go to church and then, you know, bring them to church. Right. And, I think that's always been there since like, since at least I was a kid yeah. and it's been t- been taught and taught and taught, but you know, does that translate? And like, I think, yeah, you're, you're poised as mercy to show people how that does mm-hmm. translate. Into people's lives. In here, like yeah. what, what I'm trying to understand is how um, this whole missional movement is different from what the church has been doing previously. Like from the way you you've articulated it, like it seems to me, it's just, it's kind of a, just a tweak in focus almost. It's like, because it's exactly what you said. Like that's at least in our, in my, in my experience growing up in the Canadian Reformed churches, it's been, um, you know, you're not just a Christian on Sunday. It's uh-huh. all seven days of the week. It's your whole life, right? So it affects everything you do throughout the week. Um, 
maybe what I see more with what Mercy is doing is taking a more uh, relationship uh, approach to to mission, maybe and less pro- programmatic. Mm-hmm. You talked about that a bit in your in your papers too. Mm-hmm. We can get into that, but I, I just like to nail this down. Like, is there's been a lot of hubbub and a lot of mm-hmm. you know much ado about. I'm not not gonna say nothing, but it just seems like a bit of a shift in mindset, but not like policy almost or or teaching. So I think some would argue that point. Well, that's, that's what I'm trying I, to understand. And, and I don't know. Not from a theology, and that's why you know, almost if you dig into the theology of it, okay, um, there has been a, a, a paradigm shift okay. to say, okay, where does mission fit in in our understanding of the doctrines of of, of grace or the doctrines right. of God? So, um, and so they've said, you know, we have to we have to see it as part of. Um, the doctrine of God as well as the doctrine of the church. And so that's why there's this been this kind of um, shift in, 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 in the discussion, how it's played out is that um, might, might be seen as a tweak and, and that's fine. That's fine. In fact, that's why I don't think the word mission, missional is at the end all or the be all. Right. It, it, it's, it's a, it's a word to help promote something that we want to be able to do. Right. And it's gained traction because as we become more and more secular and more and more post Christian, the need to think about this more seriously is, is upon us. Yeah. In the past, you could say, well, let's just invite your neighbor to church. You know, Keller talks about the 20 steps that need to be taken before you just invite your neighbor to church because they just don't have the categories. They don't understand what you're talking about. They're, they're sharing a different story. They're not mm-hmm. part of your story. They don't even, Jesus is a swear word. I, I'm working with two people right now that um, have, one's 49, the other one's 29, 28, something. No categories, no, uh, like I'm talking, nothing. I'm sharing the gospel, nothing, zero. Yeah, zero. That's a new reality though. It's a new reality. Yeah. So how do I, how, and, and I work with a guy now for four months. I haven't even invited him to church. He's not, he'll just be like blown away. Like what is going on here? Yeah. He probably won't get into the first song and without realizing I'm, I'm way out of my depth. I have no idea what's going on here. Right, right. So, um, and then they leave. Because well, yeah, they're like it's discouraging. This, it's discouraging. Yeah. So I'm, I'm walking, I'm going through the gospel of John and I've gotten like four chapters now yeah. and I'm just walking him through the whole story. I'm always going back to Genesis, always going back to the fall, always yeah. going back to the redemptive story. And I'm sharing that story with him so that he begins to pin things um, theologically. If you have no categories in your mind, theologically, you have nowhere to pin. No. So if I share the name Jesus already, you're pinning, you know, um, son of God, Old Testament, New Testament, you know, he's the full fullness yep, of time, right, all that right. kind of stuff. You have so many things going on in your mind. Well, pretend that you have nothing going on in your mind when you hear the name Jesus. Or pretend you have nothing going on in your mind when you hear the name Adam or Eve or Moses or David. Yeah. So you, we need to understand this is the culture that we're living in. And so the missional literature is saying, okay, if that's true, if our culture is so post-Christian that there are people in our culture that have no categories, no framework, no framework, no reference point. Yep. Where do we where do we start from here to to allow them to worship with us? And then when they do worship with us, how do we how are we intentional about their presence? Right. So we do have guys. I talked to one of these guys who came in and said, you know, it feels like you guys are like jumping all over scripture, and like right. I'm, I'm way over here, and like you're back over here, and then you're over here again, and I am absolutely lost. Yeah. Okay, okay, we're gonna put you down with a mentor. So he's now being discipled or mentored, and we're slowly working through the the constructs again with him. Yeah. This is more and more a reality. If someone comes from the Muslim faith, they're going to have um, similar kind of, they're going to have some constructs that are going to be similar and things are really going to confuse them. Like mm-hmm. who is Jesus and why is he called the son of God? Yep, right. And you need to spend time. If he's Hindu, 
polytheism, you know, they're not going to have very many, (laughs) very little. And so we just need to realize that this is the mission field that we're in. How as a church do we reach into these people's lives? So we, we take this very, very seriously. Um, I'm challenged regularly by my wife and others to, to kind of watch how I like watch my, not my tone, even my tone, (laughs) but (laughs) um, the, the, my word choice. Right. And, and this, I talked about this somewhere else, but you know, um, we have a lot of Christianese that we can throw into our sermons right. and just yeah. hold people right. with that's Christianese. And, yeah. and, and that's not, that's not right. on anymore. It's like making it intentional and making the message accessible, I guess. That's without, it. without softening the hard blows of scripture, you still need to deal with hell. Right. You still yep. need to deal with the justification by faith alone. You still need to deal with the doctrines of grace. All of that truth has to be shared because that's the gospel. Yeah. But how you share it becomes the the question. Right. So this is, I think this kind of gets into um, maybe some people's, they're not seeing this context that you're living in this post-Christian. And maybe I'm wrong, but I think I have a suspicion that the lower socioeconomic area where you're dealing with in, in, in a city, you'll see a higher percentage of those people who have not a clue. No, no context, no, just completely a post-Christian person than say a more rural setting where, you know, typically they grew up on farms. Most of those people Some were attending a church. Yeah, um, yeah. I know that you've said like most people are still coming from a church back or at least at Blessings, we're coming from a church background. So they have some kind of an idea, some framework. But yeah, you're talking about people who are like, and I've never met somebody like <laughs> because it's like, there's no idea. And I, I almost would have assumed if I'm talking to somebody that, yeah, at least they know who Jesus is. You're mm-hmm. living in Canada. Like, right. We were established on the idea of Christianity. Christianity. So you think, that's right. you think everyone just knows, but I, yeah, I mean, I could see where that's a challenge. Oh, even school a couple years ago, that's like more and more people right. just like, don't know, just have no idea. So you need, you need to work by yeah. generation. So yeah. my parents' generation. Yes. The baby yeah. boomers. Pretty solid. Most yeah. of them knew. Most of them knew, and they made a choice either for or against. Yeah, to care or not. Uh, yeah. On a on a kind of an informed decision. Yeah. Uh, not altogether informed. Quote, unquote. Yeah. Quote, unquote, informed yeah. decision yeah. of whether to follow Christ or not, or whether to be attending, continue to attend the church or not. Yeah. Their generation, which is Generation X, is my generation. Yeah. Um, you know, we push against that a bit. And um, some have grown up in Christian homes, and obviously some haven't. And the ones who haven't often have, have parents who have a distaste towards Christianity and have tried not to expose their ch- children to yeah. it, to say, you know what, right. Christianity has, has, has these weaknesses, these issues, and they become almost kind of antagonistic towards mm-hmm. the gospel. Mm-hmm. The next generation, which is the millennial, are you in the millennial category? I'm Gen Z, actually. Oh, I'm millennial. 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 <laughs> yeah, you're Gen Z, you're millennial. Yeah. Um, wow. So um, this category of people are now so one or two generations are removed from a gospel yeah. uh, paradigm that they're almost, it's almost vacuous. They, 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 they don't know where, again, those categories aren't there. Totally. And it's that generation and your generation, the millennials that um, is making up the population. Now a big percentage of the population, right. especially in where we are in East Hamilton that we're trying to reach. And when you have this meaninglessness, this sense of loss of identity, this loss of gospel focus, uh, people are turning to other venues. Of course, drugs become, you know, porn, um, a substance abuse, whatever the case may be. And um, these are the people that we're trying to reach. 
and being very intentional with it. The last thing I just want to say that I've also realized is that we are growing in a culture that um, deals with unbelievable and almost unmitigated um, social anxiety. Uh, you, you remove meaning from life, you, you, you just, it transplants, it's replaced by anxiety. And I think that's what's happening. And so we're asking, we have to ask the questions now. How do you deal with a society that's post-Christian, post-Christendom, uh, secular, uh, post-modern, loss of meaning, driven by consumerism, individualistic, mm -hmm. expressive individualism, like radical individualism, and how do you plant meaning into that? And that meaning comes from Christ. And that's, those are the difficult questions that we're yeah. asking, even as they enter into our church. Right. So some of the things that we are trying to do is make it understandable for people somewhat, help them build those categories. We prepare them. I think the other thing to do is that um, when people have a loss of meaning and deal with social anxiety, and often that turns into mental illness as well, um, what, what they're really calling for out, out for is, is lasting and enduring relationships. Um, people that they can trust and they can walk through life with. Mm -hmm. And so even if they don't understand what's going on in a church, and a lot of times they won't, it's like going to the baseball game for the first time or for me going to a cricket game and like, I have no idea, right. but I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, it's fun. Um, for a lot of people, that's like going to church. Like, yeah. oh, this seems nice. But the reality is, is that even though, you know, we, we, we accommodate to a point, you can't accommodate completely because the gospel is, you know, savory to those who love Jesus and, you know, otherwise. But what we're trying to do is to say that we are a loving community. We're a hospitable community. And we're ready to do life with you. How can we? How can we do that best? So almost immediately, what I maybe you've heard this on other podcasts. Almost immediately, what we try to do, well, not immediately, because we don't want to scare them away the first time they come to our <laughs> church, like, and they're like, ah. um, is to say we'll wait three or four weeks. But if if you've proven that you you want to be here, that this is a safe place, we're going to pair you up with a with a family mm -hmm. or a couple that can do life with you, right? Because that's actually what you need. You need you need those strong relationships. Uh, we're dealing with un, we're dealing with loneliness at a level that we've never seen in society before, um, and that has created so much pain. Mm -hmm. um, so in this know, context, is something that we've never. I don't think like you can't think of a time in history when we people have, would have known less about <laughs> Christian theology. Oh, Even yeah. in the Old Testament, people, the, the nations knew what Israel was about. They knew what God was about. They were scared. Right. And I don't think we've ever been in a, a context where people just don't know. And well, they I, think, that. I think in the history of mission, we have, you know, wherever the mission, the gospel has never been. Right. The early right. church. PNG was, was when they started there. Well, hundred years ago, PNG was that place was where wild. animism yeah. was just driving the whole yeah. force. And they're, you know, India, oh. they're burying the loved ones with their, you know, the spouses buried with, you know, all yeah. these things. Wow. Um, but what's happening in Canada, and I remember Dr. Van Dam talking about this as well, you know, this is a number of years ago already, like 20, um, that um, that we are living in a, a post, a neo-pagan society. And I think that's true. So if you remove God, so secularism is a removal of God. Um, it's the king without, it's a kingdom without the king. I talk about the, you know, the production line without the producer. It, it's just, it's aimless, it's pointless. But um, you remove God from this, from this scenario. The default setting is not kind of just innocuous, harmless, kind of living life out mm -hmm. to the in human flourishing. No, it's emptiness. It's meaningless in a craft, grafting after holding on to something that's still somewhat transcendent. That's why the belief in UFOs is still stronger 
than the belief in God, maybe. But the belief in UFOs is, is, is more, it's stronger than the belief in atheism or a no God because they're still hope, they need to hold on to something, but yeah. they don't know what to hold on to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah. Out of mission, I'm man. curious. So, like I said, I think mercy and, and blessings are poised to teach the Federation something in, in, in the context that you're living in, in the, the things that you're looking into, um, just based on what you've said is like, these are things that I have not thought about and I have not heard many people talk about and things that we definitely need to dig into because I don't think it's going to get any better in the foreseeable future. Like we just, we've looked at the politics of it and, mm. and this and that side of it. So, um, I'm curious, is there something that that w- the the rest of the Federation can do for mercy and blessings and something that you could do for the rest of the Federation so that we don't alienate each other and so that everyone can learn this? Because I think it's like something that I've never thought about. And I'm like, wow, OK, now I'm going to think about this. And I also read your we read your paper about expressive individualism. Yeah, and, that's fascinating. And, and the, those those kind of thoughts, I think, need to permeate our churches more than they have, you know, maybe the rest of the Federation because you're living that context. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe what you're trying to say is like what they're doing, uh, what they're doing in mercy, what they're doing in blessings, that kind of missional approach. Um, how could that be adopted in other areas, like outside of a city, maybe specifically? Yeah, like if so you're in a suburban context or a rural context. Just before context. we dig into the, the lower socioeconomic, because I think we want to get into that paper bit because that was yeah, really interesting too. too. And, mm-hmm. and the actual, specifically what you're doing too, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a very good question. And I think, I think um, you know, you talk about the word branding, sometimes we hear that or, you know, trying to, you know, do things differently for the sake of doing things differently or anything like that. That needs to be excised. You yeah, know, 100%. 100%. And, and, and I just say that publicly right now because, because all that we want, um, and as a pastor, I'd say this, uh, unabashedly, all that I want is the people to know Christ yep. because there's only in Christ is their salvation. So um, we want to bring the gospel. And some people question missional because it says, well, you, you're, you're going to soften the gospel. You're going to become a soft gospel service preach uh, point, and you're going to encourage social, uh, the social gospel, which ultimately can turn into a mission drift and no gospel at all. And my argument back to them is say, no, to be purely missional about this whole thing is to be able to say, we identify as followers of Christ. We know what that looks like, what it means to follow Christ, and we're prepared to live that out. And if you if you don't know who you are in Christ or what it means to follow Christ and have a theology that is grounded in, in Reformed theology, or doctrines of grace, you actually have nothing to give the world. The world doesn't need more soft gospel. The world doesn't need a prosperity gospel. The world doesn't need liberalism. No. The last thing it needs it needs a church that's unabashedly founded on the truth of scripture and not ashamed about it. Mm-hmm. And it needs that to be translated into. So that's our, that's our heart. That's our passion. But we realize now that we're working in a context, as we talked about, that's, yep. you know, a, a secular post-Christian meaningless, all that kind of stuff. So, um, I, I, and, and so what can, what can we give? I think what we can give is communicate, you know, this yeah yeah uh, someone said you should probably publish some of the stuff you're writing I'm 100%. Like, so, yeah, yeah i should probably, some of that. I should probably, probably publish that yeah. um but to we say you know, let's let's begin to to communicate some of these struggles some of this tension point some of this need that that transcends 
I think it has to transcend the lower social economic and, and upper upper social economic categories. It has to tr- transcend suburban, rural, inner city realities. It's yeah. just to say, this is Canada. This is where Canada's going. This is what it means to be church in Canada. And this is how we need to do this together. And so I think, you know, sharing ideas, communicating. We had a, a conference um, in January with uh, a kind of a missional conference uh, with pastors. And it was attended by, I think, 75 uh, Canadian Reform ministers. I think your dad was there as well. Yep. Um, and we just talked about this. Well, that that needs to keep going. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because we need to realize that we live in a very also um, a transient um, country where mobile mobile country maybe that's a better word where people are moving around so you have people from mississauga um brampton moving into niagara Mm -hmm. and 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 living their lives they have a very kind of urban mindset still and so those categories of you know they used to grow up on a farm and because they were farmers and they're less secular they had lots of children and you know whatever as opposed to the city those those distinctions are 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 being are being um, marginal like marginalized. That's not the word I want to look for, but just being not not defining us as much because we're mm-hmm. we're 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 a country in movement. Right. So we need to realize that we're kind of dealing with the same people group. We can discuss socioeconomic economic realities. We can talk about the the the, the um, traffic, or we can talk about the street involved. But at the end of the day, um, Canadians have kind of imbibed this liberal message of of secularism of human flourishing without yep. christ right across the board and so i think what we need to do is just kind of share share facts right. and i think the other thing that you know we need to communicate is that we need to trust each other mm-hmm. um and and as 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 we trust each other we're able to build a better foundation or a, a, a stronger federation, a stronger right. church community. When there's distrust, there's a, a lot of things that, that fall apart. So yeah, that's honestly yeah. one of our goals with this whole thing. Like this Just whole talk. podcast, like yeah. we want to, we want to facilitate conversation. Like, I mean, this is great. And we, we talked about this way too much before we came in here. Um, we're probably at like six, eight, 10 hours already. Um, but I think what you were describing is like, if, if you, you as a church, um, the mission, so missional churches are, are alienated from the Federation. I think it does a disservice to both ends where, you know, you're going to lose the, the, um, 75 ministers who are like, that's the, that's a mm-hmm. core and that's an amazing group. That's something that you need to hold on to and right, like deepen. And then from the other way, like there's, there's so much that we're, I'm already learning, like I'm already learning so much that I, you know, I can't even put into words like. Mm. how much value this will have to, you know, everybody thinking about this kind of stuff and, and, you know, you showing us like your context and, you know, yeah, well, even like through more conversation too, like we talked about this model was a ways back already, but like, uh, of taking the, the minister and, and you know, about a hundred people or so mm-hmm. planting that church. And you talked about like the financial realities of that too. But if, uh, there was broader communication support across the federation, like you could replicate that a lot more, I think. Yeah, I mean, like the federation, like, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't helps need to be financially like blessings stuff, right? helps you guys and mm-hmm, bless your mm-hmm. members and in, in, in classes. Is there broader federation support for it? No, not right now. Not financial support. No, not, not financial support. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think we need to continue to learn from each other, and and mm-hmm. and we are we are a federation. We 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 bind ourselves to a, to a form of worship to a church order. Um, but that needs to be also in discussion. I'll be honest. That mm-hmm. needs to be in discussion. Totally. Um, how do how does our church order fit our present context? Right. This is not compromising of the gospel. This is applying because the church order is contextualizing 
the the gospel in into a into a church environment, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we contextualize the gospel or the order of worship or whatever that fits that that works within our present context? Th- these are discussions that we have. I, right. I don't have the answer to this. Right. That's what but, we're trying to have conversation. <laughs> but, but we better be in discussion about this because this is kind of what we need to do. Um, and that allows us to have that mutual respect to say, mm-hmm. yes, um, we're not ashamed about the fact that, you know, we're, we're a federation of churches that spans a large socioeconomic, well, doesn't, it could, uh, <laughs> socioeconomic area, but it certainly spans um, cultures in growing in that way, but it certainly mm-hmm. spans a geography. Um, and so, you know, how, how do we work together? For the sake of the for the sake of Christ in this nation, yeah. which in, which we need to realize is quite a bit different than the American context. Mm-hmm. Um, you read the literature from America and how they from the states and how they do church in some of these cities. It, it's different than here because uh, for different reasons, more integration, yeah, they have more of a Christian understanding, but they have a still. stronger Christian ethos yeah. there than we do mm-hmm. here. Yeah, it's more assimilation to, to based. Uh, yeah, yeah. versus yeah. accommodation for sure, for sure. Oh, wow, geez. yeah, I'm just, I'm just swamped, but that's I mean. That's that's great. I think that's kind of um, where we wanted to lead the conversation in the first bit. Um, yeah, you want to talk about the move-in method, maybe, and uh, what they've been doing at Mercy. Yeah, I mean, like I think the the um, lower socioeconomic context, and also the we touched on the expressive individualism a little bit. Like people are all kind of doing their own thing. They don't think about anyone else. It's all about me, me, um, and that that kind of thing. We touched on that a little bit, but in your context, the lower socioeconomic context and moving. A church into that um you touched on that in your paper and we both enjoyed that paper it was like should get this out so mm. we can share it for you <laughs> um but how have you said that the church has been um kind of pulling back from the world a little bit or pulling back from those areas a little bit i think as we became more affluent as mm. as a a church who moved in into canada we've kind of moved into this upper middle class and i think to be fair, I think we've done a good job um, helping the people in our churches so that, you know, we're not leaving people behind and, you know, in say the working, uh, the working class, um, we take people along and, and that seems to be why, you know, we're all reasonably uh, well off. But as you pointed out, we kind of left a group behind and, and that's kind of the context you're, you're moving back into. Um, so maybe we can, we can touch on that a little bit. I think the, the thought of moving a congregation in there already just kind of, it was, it was a different way of thinking about it for me because I live uh, not very far away from the McQuesta neighborhood. Um, and so when I, when I heard You're where you had to move in, yeah, exactly. <laughs> where I heard you, where you were moving, it was like, so now um, I haven't heard a ton about, you know, you encourage people to move in, you encourage people to be a part of this. And also you, I think you mentioned on, um, some some talk or maybe on on Tyrannus Hall or something, but you said uh, in um, in one of the apartment buildings, some people yeah. are moving in, yeah. and so they're they're being encouraged to do that. Is that something that's re- really really important to to doing mission in in that context, or is uh, I think you said parachute mission, where you know you run in, you have a have a group the suburbs, group yeah, in yeah, this, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then you run back to your suburb and home, and and uh, I'm, I'm sure. There, there's, there's a, there's a kind of a, a struggle there. So you have a, you have kids and you want them to have their nice, safe. Can you do mission home. from the suburbs? Is what you're trying to say? Sure, sure. Nice. And then maybe you can talk a little bit to the, to the apartment building and uh, what that does, what that does, like being in that area. Yeah. So I, I did begin my paper with a, a 
I would, a critique of sorts. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't sure. say inflammatory, but inflammatory. But it was provocative, and yeah. I think partly because um, it was a paper. Because it's a paper, yeah. and you want to, you know, you, you want to solve a, a problem. You want to be a good grade, no? It's called um, a hook. Because yeah. you have to, you have an issue. You always create the problem before you can solve this with the solution, right? So, right. and I think coming back, and, I'll, and so for the for the for the viewers, coming back to Canada uh, made me realize uh, two things. One, that um, we had we had a strong federation of churches um, pushing 19,000 people, and they were well established. And the average number was hitting around three hundred thirty. That that's unbelievable, like mm-hmm. amazing. Um, but if we looked at where we were located and where people were drifting, they seemingly were drifting away from where God was sending the people. Right. Um, there's yeah. 2 million land immigrants um, in, in GTA. There are, you know, um, in Riverdale, which is just on Centennial Road, 51% of the people there speaking as a second language. Where, where are we? Mm-hmm. Um, these are people from the Middle East, um, the Caribbean, um, Central America, and Far East Asia, generally, or Asia in particular. Um, where are we? Where's the church? Up the and, <laughs> but we're up on the mountain and we've gone rural. Yeah. Now I understand why we went rural. Um, one, you know, my, my cynical side says because the parking lot's bigger, you know, it's, it's easier <laughs> to get there. Cheaper land. Cheaper land. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. have a bigger parking lot and you deal with all the zoning issues around parking. I get that kind of, um, but I, but that was never why we were sent to this earth. That's what mm-hmm. we sent to this. That's why, that's not why we're here. Mm-hmm. So I think what's happened is that we've imbibed some of this expressive individualism, individualism without realizing it. Yeah. So an individualistic worldview says, um, or especially expressive individualism, uh, be true to yourself, um, fulfill your own mission, fulfill your dream. It, 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 imbibe, it works really well with the American dream mm-hmm. to say, you know, live the best life now yeah. because you can. Yeah. yeah. And, I think we have imbibed that. Mm-hmm. I would so the second thing I came back to realize. So first there was this disparity. There was very little church presence in our cities, in which you know makes up we're eighty four percent urbanized in Canada, one of the most urbanized countries in the world, and really? our church is particular particularly um, suburban or worse, <laughs> worse no, no. Uh, rural as rural. far as this in the context. I understand. Yes, that's no, mm-hmm. not worse. It's beautiful. We have nice farms and homes, <laughs> but. Um, but subsequently, the Lord has built up these cities with people from all over the world coming into them with a lot of social issues. We talk about social capital, right. a lack of social capital. Yep. And we have everything in Christ that our cities need. Right. Everything. Mm-hmm. We our, our churches build community. They they care. They care for the needy. They care for the poor. They they love. They you know they, they have the gospel of salvation. They have an eternal hope. You know all of these things is exactly what we need in our cities. And where are we? We're outside the city. So that was the first kind of uh, how do we deal with this? The, the the second thing that I came back realizing is that I am no different than anybody else. Mm-hmm. In the fact that I was mm-hmm. you know wanting to go into commerce and be rich. Uh, a millionaire by the time I was 30, had all these big aspirations. This is a long time ago. I'd be, you know, maybe more than that. But, um, <laughs> and, and I got a business degree for that end. And, and, and the Lord said, no, you know, he burdened my heart to, to lead me into ministry to say, uh, what, what is your ultimate goal? Yeah. Why are you living the life that you're living? Is the ultimate goal to, to be the wealthiest now? Or is the ultimate goal to, to live, um, 
to become to focus on the more of a downward mobility for the upward reality of Christ in his kingdom. So um do you want to cut for a second? No, it's fine. Oh, it's going, it's, it's fine. Just okay. touch on downward mobility. Okay. So um, explain that one. I, I guess the, the point is to say, okay, why are we here on this earth? And and I'll just get back to the re, the kind of that argumentation I had in my mind to say, if I'm no different than anyone else in the church, and God called us to serve overseas, and I was by his strength in my wife. And, and, and he worked in my wife's heart as well to take up our family, uproot our family and move into a culture. We did not know language. We did not speak to a, to a climate that we did not like, especially at the beginning. It's very hot. <laughs> yeah. Um, for his sake, what, what, what's the church doing here in the West? Yeah. Why can't more people do that? Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking them to move overseas. I'm not asking them to, to take up, you know, a place in, you know, so you're Africa or something. I'm asking them just to to relocate within a five or ten kilometer radius to say I could have maybe a stronger gospel real presence here in in this part of the city for the sake of Christ. And so the question then becomes: This is a missional question. What's it mean to be a missionary, not a ordained missionary, but what's it mean to be a missionary as a member of Christ's church? Mm-hmm. And what does what's Christ calling me to do? How important is his kingdom and the advancement of his kingdom to my life right now? Right. And I don't know. I was never brought up with those questions. I was never asked, are you praying about the future of the church and the future of Christ's name as you're thinking about your career? It was more get a good education, get that good career, and pay the church and pay your fees and and, and look after your family and yeah. you fulfilled your mission. That was never the end goal of, of our mission here on earth for anyone, whether you're a pastor or a missionary. The end goal is to say, okay, I want Christ made known, lived out. I want to be a light. I want to be salt wherever God calls me. Use my gifts for your kingdom. That might be a lawyer. That might be, um, you know, working at McDonald's. I don't really care. But is he the focus? Right. Yeah. And so I didn't mind being a little bit radical, I guess, a little bit pushy, maybe people would say, to say, you know, I think you shouldn't. Consider a down, more of a downward mobility than an upward mobility. You have to ask the question, you know, when you have upward mobility, we're very focused on upward mobility. That's true. And, and the upward mobility basically is um, I'm going to keep investing, making more money and keep living basically a, a better standard of living. So the upward mobility, uh, you know, not I'm thinking monetarily is kind of a curve that says more is better. Right. Until uh, you retire in the lap of luxury with a. See do and that's right. So you just you keep and so you keep building capital. You keep more capital, more toys, more things, and you're just riding this wave of upward mobility. Mm-hmm. And then your buddies um, are also riding that wave, but they got a little ahead of you. And you're like, oh no, my buddy's a bit ahead. I, I can keep up to him. Yeah, I, that's not a problem. I got that toy too. Okay, okay, I got it. Okay, and we just we just it's very easy, even in the church, and this is our cultural idol, to kind of move up that upward mobility and nobody calling you out mm-hmm. because everybody's doing it. It's the water we, we swim in. It's, it's kind of like, we don't know any different. This is how we've done church or this is how we've done life. I'm arguing that maybe Christ is calling us not to deny ourselves, not to de- not to reduce our calling, our, our call and the giftedness in our life to use our gift for his kingdom. But to say, maybe God is calling us to more simple life Mm. for the sake of his name, for the coming kingdom, for the advancement of the gospel. Maybe he's calling us to downward mobility. Right. Downward mobility is not denying God of his gifts that he's given you. Downward mobility says, I don't need to live that life now. 
I will leave that good life in the future. Mm. I'm willing to sacrifice something now for the cause of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. And God blesses that. That well describes the new church in the New Testament where for sure. Were they were selling. Giving, they were sell, why were they selling? They were selling fields too. That's rural. That's right. That's rural. <laughs> why were they? Yeah. Where were those fields in Jerusalem? Yeah. <laughs> um, why were they selling them? Because they're pat. It's, it's a right. parable. You know, I, I found that jewel. I sold everything so I could buy that piece of property mm-hmm. so I could get that precious jewel. That's that's the identity that Christ is calling us to. Right. But I think we've imbibed a message to say more is better. God has blessed us. So why am I depriving myself of this opportunity? I have so much money in my bank account anyway. Yeah. And I want to live that nice life now. It's to say, you know what? Maybe maybe Christ is calling you to a higher calling mm-hmm. and you want more of Christ. Maybe you need to experience what it means to give up something of this life to experience more of him. And that's that 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 kind mm-hmm. of categorical change that needs to happen in our mind. And so I don't mind calling people out, calling people out. I don't mind encouraging people to consider moving into a lower socioeconomic area. Right. I don't mind saying, you know what? For the sake of the gospel, what are you willing to give up? Right. I mean, that's a good sermon right there. That's like, that could be a whole Sunday. <laughs> I probably so, preach it more than once. That's, <laughs> that's good though. So the, I think the part where um, it becomes difficult is now um, we've worked as a federation, I suppose, since our say first, second generation moved here into a, into a position where we now have luxury. Well, people would say they're necessities now, but luxuries like Christian education. Um, you know, we have amazing things like campfire where like this, this is something that needs to be funded, but has an amazing effect in the kid's life. Things like that, where if you look at a life in a lower socioeconomic area, that's just not a reality. You don't go up to, you know, the North and have this amazing, you know, weekend with a whole bunch of kids and counselors. And, and so those are the, that's, I guess the reality where our federation's living and to continue to fund those things has kind of been, you know, you say anchor and and streetlight that's been, you know, you just start naming things. And those are the things that come to mind. Uh, Funding those things has been the top priority, I think in, in a lot of people's minds, whereas it's like make more money so we can give more to anchor, make more money so we can make. So, and that, I guess that it just follows that upward mobility. And then you say, where does that stop? Well, I would, I would correct you in that and say, all of that's very good. Right. To, to make money, to be able to support kingdom causes or the advancement of the gospel or the support of our, our brothers and sisters who are disabled. I mean, 100%. Per, do it. Yeah. 100%. Um, the, the question is, how does, how are you doing that? and living your life out for Christ. Because I think what it's, what's easy about that is that you could say, well, I have given a lot, therefore I kind of deserve to live like this. Right. Or I have given a lot, so I'm gonna live a pretty cushy life this way. And, and Christ says, is that, really? Is that is that the sum total of your Christian identity? You give a lot, because I've blessed you with a lot, everything mm-hmm. you have I've given you. Yep. And then you can just kind of like, but I'm going to keep myself distant from those who are struggling, those who are hurting, Mm -hmm. because I want to live in a very, I want to live the best life now still. Right. I want to be careful here because it it, it might easily come across as a critique, but it's not. It it comes, it should come across as to say, what's your modus operandi? What's your raison d'etre? Why are you living your life? Mm -hmm. Is it for bigger, better? Because if it is, that's not of Christ. To the rich man, God says, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And he's like, hey, you went away unhappy. Why? Because he had a lot of wealth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
that would be 99% of us, including me. To sell everything I have right now for the sake of the gospel would be very difficult. And I'm not even close to half the people I know who have way more than me. Mm-hmm. But it's very difficult. We're in the first world. Yeah. But the question at the end of the day is, um, wh- where are you placing your stake? Where, where's yeah. your trust? Where's your hope? What's the reason? What gets you up in the morning? Hmm. And this is where I I felt that maybe as a church community, we are struggling. Maybe maybe as a church community, we've kind of lost our way here, but it's hard to call it out. Right. Uh, it's so tricky too, because it's not like, I don't know, it, not like everyone can just move into McQuiston or move into a, a lower socioeconomic. And I know that's- We don't have enough space for them all. You know, right? that's, yeah. that's fair too. But I'm wondering if there's some sort of, like that, that's a super valid point. And it's definitely like, it's making me think about what are my goals and what are we doing here? But um, could you still uh, use the gifts God has given you responsibly? So still live in a, you know, a decent house, whatever. Um, but then uh, sacrifice more for Christ by you know putting your time into um, going into these lower socioeconomic areas. Like let's, let's take mercy as an example. Say you live, I mean, you're actually a good example. You live in Rosedale. It's like a bit of a ways away, but not super far away. Decent place now in Little Reno, so it's it's not so bad. You're like a neighbor, hey, by the way. Yeah. What's that? Your neighbor. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I know him a question real well. So yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. So yeah, like, can the mission still be done? Um, can you have a good relationship with these people if you're like, oh, I'm gonna come into my question and then you know get to know you and then do that kind of thing, but then I'm gonna head back to the suburbs at night because it's safer over there. Yeah. Like, so I think it's a both and obviously, um, yeah. you know, if I have a landscaping company and I need, you know, a parking space, well, um, I, I can't, there, there are members like that, or I have a company, I can't, I need space. So, um, it doesn't work for me to live in East Hamilton, yeah. for example. So, there, um, I, I had to build an ensuite for my grandmother or my mother or whatever the case may be, or my husband, my, or whatever. And, and I need more room. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of reasons why we live in the suburbs and even in the rural areas. I, I get that. Um, but when when it's everybody doing that, you wonder what the culture is that's forcing or that mm. is causing this to happen. Um, and so that's that's where. But it, you know, is Christ in the suburbs? Yes. Mm. Do we need people living in the suburbs? Yes. Do we need people living in rural areas? Yes. For the sake of Christ, we need people living in rural areas. Yes, we do. Yeah. But if they're moving, if they're moving into rural areas and moving always with one step. One one kind of handle on the door to kind of move into a bigger house, or they're never satisfied. They're never ready to say, you know what, I could just give this all up for the sake of the gospel, or give up a lot more of what I have for the sake of the gospel. Then you have to ask the question, where's your heart? And so, you know, Piper talks a lot about about finances and, and money, and I, I think he makes a good point. He says, you know, probably early on in your marriage, you should decide, you know, what is a a, a livable standard. To meet your meet your meet your payments, to to care for your family, and what can you give away? And so, what often happens is, as we make more money, always comes back to money. Mm-hmm. As we make more money, we we buy more things mm-hmm. that demand more money to be made to pay off those things, right. and it never ends. Mm-hmm. But if you say a cap, you know, I I can live off one hundred twenty thousand, which which is pretty good, I think, or I can live off one hundred thousand, but that's going to be a cap. So when those Big projects come in that they just like, oh, you're flush with 50,000, you're flush with 100,000. It's very easy to say, you know what? We need a pool now. 
Yeah. Oh no, no, no. We need we need we need a new boat because yeah. that boat not tax know, write off or something. It's a tax write off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without thinking, God, you have blessed me with another fifty thousand. Yeah. Um, how this how is this going to be used to advance your kingdom? We we are living contently now. Mm-hmm. And this is the downward mobility. It's not saying you can't live out here. Yep. It's saying, how are you living this life for the sake of the gospel? And is it a simple life? Because what happens is, is that the gospel becomes very, very connected to monetary wealth. As if if you if everybody in the church is, is living that life and growing in that life, like more and more and more, the people are going to like, wow, I want to be part of this church. Yeah. Everybody's rich here. And the gospel has lost its 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 flavor, its power, its uniqueness, mm-hmm. partly because it's clouded by money. Mm-hmm. So that's those are the tension points. Um, so when it, when it comes to McQuesten, I, I don't mind encouraging people to move in. Yeah. Um, and people say some people say they can't. I get that. But if you can, you should seriously consider. And when it comes to moving into apartment buildings, which is a high, I think a higher calling, um, because there's there's cockroaches and mice and, and bed bugs. Also vertically. Yeah, yeah, vertically. <laughs> it's higher and, 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 and kind of um, physically, it's more demanding. Yeah, yeah. You better know why you're there. Yeah. Because it could be very, it's, it was the same with us in Papua New Guinea. We had to feel called to go to Papua New Guinea because we would have exited there the first three years about 10 times if we didn't know the Lord wanted us there. And this is that kind of missional reality that if every member sees themselves as an ambassador for Christ, called into call into into service for the King, this yeah. is a you know prophet, priest, King, Lord's Day twelve. Um, then, when you have prayerfully considered where the Lord wants you to serve for the advancement of His kingdom, regardless of its vocation, every vocation is honorable to God. Mm-hmm. Well, most vocations are honorable to God, <laughs> of course. Um, that you can have peace in your mind that this is for God's kingdom because you've given it to the Lord in prayer. This is a challenge I've, I've talked to Jason Heemskirk and others at Guido and, and teachers at West to say, okay, how are we shaping our children, our young people to have a kingdom focus? Mm-hmm. Because far too long have they been by the message that it's all about this kingdom. Mm-hmm. But this kingdom is going to disappear. Jesus walks out of the out of the buildings and, and out of Jerusalem and they're like, oh, look at all these nice buildings. And Jesus only responds to that. They're all going to be torn down. He didn't even say, yeah, there were some brilliant architects here. I gifted them with that architectural ability. He didn't say anything like that. Yeah. He says in, in, on the day of days, they're all going to demolish. Mm-hmm. That's having a, a short view of this, of what's here, and a long view of what's eternal. That's where we were. That's where we want our kids. That's where we want our members. Mm-hmm. Those, those type of members get passionate about the salvation of the lost. Because what happens if you're passionate about your goals in this life, a bigger retirement, more money in the account, you get passionate about that. Well, something's going to suffer. You can't have two passions. You can't serve God and mammon. So what happens is, is that your passion for people living in Lower East or Hamilton or in the lower social economic sure. area, the sex trafficked, the urban poor is nothing. It's nil because you, you, there's no place in your heart for them. Why? Mm. Because it's been, it's been polluted. Your heart's been convicted, has been passionate about making more money, getting more things. And that has, that has just consumed you. You get rid of that, you have way more opportunity to think about what Christ wants you to do. Hmm. Fair point. Man, this did not go exactly where we had thought, but this is amazing. Like, such a good conversation. We're getting close to the end here, but uh, we got about 10 minutes, I think, still. So, anything else that's uh, gnawing at you? Yeah, man. Uh, Yeah, really getting into it there. That's good. So, I, I, Personally, I like the way you wrapped up um, talking about the calling that everyone has a calling to 
to this mission and to the, the mind, to that mindset. And, and as a, as a kid in school, a lot of times we'd have, we'd have Reverend DeGraff in, we'd have somebody, a missionary would come and talk to us and we would say, wow, look at the pictures of the church they have. And, oh, they got cool instruments and that's, that's a really cool culture. And, and they would describe this and say, you should think about being a missionary. And you're like, right. Oh, okay. Maybe well, that would be really cool to be able to go and serve. And, and I think it was very clearly defined as a binary choose mm -hmm. this or choose to stay here with everyone else. And, you know, like normally live normally move to the country, you know, like, or that kind of a mindset. So this, I think it just wrapped it up. Well, I, yeah. I don't even know if I have a question there. I think it's just a, I think it's, it's what a you good just, mindset what, what to say. Just, what you just captured there in that binary reality, you know, either go do a foreign mission right. or um, stay here to kind of live your life and fulfill your dreams is the, is the missional corrective. The mission, mm -hmm. the missional literature right. revolves around that reality, right? That mission could, can exist foreign and we could be happy that we're funding it, mm -hmm. but it doesn't involve me personally mm -hmm. in my personal life. And I think that's where like the difference between the word mission and the word evangelism has mm. changed the way we think about it. Cause we have, we have a, we have an evangelism committee in mm -hmm. our church and then we have a mission board mm -hmm. and the mission board is like, you guys Fine. go do that and we'll give you money. It's great. But you know, evangelism was like, we have a pizza night in our church and then everyone's like, we're going to evangelize. And it was not, you know, we've, we've separated those things, I think in our mind. And I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know that they need to be separated or no, evangelism know, to bring is, them back is together. part of the church's calling. Um, but again, that's all part of our calling, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, exactly. it, it's sharing the good news. Yeah. Um, I, okay. So this is a question I had, I forgot about it now. Um, so when you're setting up these, these churches and you're going in, you have a hundred people and they, they all kind of get their people to mentor and, and to, to walk alongside of, um, and you said you kind of reduce the burnout, uh, just by spreading the burden across, I guess, but it seems like the need is pretty great. Are you worried that in a couple of years you're going to have member burnout? If it's like this, this could be a long and challenging road ahead for for mm -hmm. the people in McQuiston there. So I think I think um, you know I think there needs to be a whole course on volunteerism at our, <laughs> at our, at our seminary because I realize how hard it is to to work. I, I love every single member, but the whole idea of volunteers is 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 a struggle because you you're always working with them and 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 you can't kind of hold them to a deadline because they're a volunteer. Um, so yeah, there is a potential for that to happen. Part of the reasons why you want a greater, a, 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 a greater group of people who have bought into the vision um, is, is again, to share that responsibility. I, I'm not too worried. I, I think what I will not want to see is still more buy-in. Um, you always want to see that. You will, you will want to see it? Yeah, for yeah, sure. You right. always want to see that. Um, you know, there within every church, there is a community of people that are just affiliates. Right. Um, and I have that as well. And I don't want to speak badly of these members, but they are more on paper than they are in reality. Like they're there, but they're not, you, you can't tell that they're really passionate about what's happening right. in the church. But do you, you mean buy-in from people in our, in our own federation? No, I'm talking or? about buy-in like in the local church. Oh, I see. Because okay. if you have the more buy-in, the more shared responsibility. Because yeah. you can have a whole... You can have 100 people, but only 40% of them are bought in. Oh, I see what you mean. And okay. so they're carrying the extra. And this is often happening in churches in you know, the 2080 rule. Um, um, yeah. So <laughs> you, you have to. You Go have, back to the business degree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have, to, you have to be aware of that reality. Yeah. But the prayer is, is that we 
we, we continue to pray that everyone will be actively involved in sharing the responsibility and it's not left up with one or two or mm. 10 or 20 people. Um, right now we're, we're doing pretty well. I think there's, there's pretty good buy-in and we want to see that grow. So I'm not really worried. One of the things that, um, that we need to just also encourage our members, and, and this is right across the board, that ultimately everything that happens in church is an answer to prayer, right? So um, even, even buy-in is an answer to prayer. So it's one of the things that I pray about regular as a pastor, that more people, um, but also, you know, put everything, everything that we do in the advancement of the gospel to the Lord in prayer and become a praying church. Mm. This is outside of missional or whatever. It just is just to say the house of God is a house of prayer. What, what does it mean to be a praying church? And then praying for the lost souls, praying for those opportunities, praying for buy-in, praying for, you know, um, mentorships that go well, discipleship, and just, just saturate every part of the church in prayer and see what God's going to do through that. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of our, so the whole move-in model is actually moving as an organization. The whole move-in model is, is simply a prayer-based model yeah. where they say, okay, here's a chapter. They call it a chapter. They move into a specific locale, which is often apartment buildings or. Yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. 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 And then all they do is to say, move in and pray. Yeah. That's, that's the model. Yeah. But the prayer is intentional prayer. God, open up doors for me to reach, reach into my neighbor's lives. Make me more hospitable. Help me to live a life that does not compromise the gospel or blaspheme your name or whatever. You know, bring those opportunities for me. And I think as a church community right across the Federation, maybe, um, we could probably, you know, we could always say this, but we could spend more time in prayer mm -hmm. about what it means to be a church, call it missional, call it whatever you want, in the 21st century in Canada. Um, with with a growing secularized um, post Christian reality, yeah. and that that's a needed uh, ingredient into this whole discussion. Is mm -hmm. part of preventing the burnout too uh, the preaching that you give every week too? Like, how do you balance? Um, like we talked a lot about uh, making sure it's understandable for people, and and, and but Accessible, not bringing, but not bringing the soft gospel either. Like, how do you give people the meat and potatoes, but also still be accessible to visitors? I suppose there's kind of a healthy tension there. Yeah, maybe. so there's going to be healthy tension there, and yeah. I, I'm glad there's healthy tension there. Yeah. There's no, there's not a simple rule book sure. on this in the Bible to say, okay, this is how exactly you're going to preach to post-Christian culture. Um, but you know, I was just thinking about that today, and and sometimes our preaching might be more like Acts 17 and Acts chapter two at times. But you hope that it will go to Acts chapter two. The Acts chapter two has just all these Old Testament references, yeah. and you're like, and he and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, grabbing yeah. Hold we, got it. It. we got it, we got it. Um, Acts seventeen is very little of that, and yet pulling from the culture to say you need to understand ultimately who God is, and, yep. and that's a framework. So mm -hmm. there's there's that tension between Acts seventeen, and Acts Acts two in the preaching of the gospel, both great sermons, both needed to be heard, and both in different contexts. And I think that that reality is there. Um, one of the, some of the things that we do in preaching that you know I'm held accountable to is not create this us versus them mentality, which right. is very very easy. Um, we're all beggars, we're all broken, we all need grace, we're all falling short of the glory of God, as I said earlier. So mm -hmm. that reality, I think as well that our word choice is more accessible, where we don't need to um, put the jargon in, excise it, sure, yeah. keep it simple. Um, <clears throat> I did this in Papua New Guinea, and I think I may need to re-do it better here. I'm, I haven't got it yet. I'm, yeah. I'm still learning how to preach, and, and I think I will until the day I die. But in Papua New Guinea, I would often, when I shared the story in the market, preaching in the marketplaces, but even off the pulpit, was very, very clearly always just draw that simple line of redemption out. Mm -hmm. You know, fallen, 
God came with a plan of salvation. Jesus is that answer. Um, you know, through faith in him, you, you are saved in eternity and just draw that line out. And so that at least they can pin down that somewhere the storyline of, of the gospel. So that that's, that's part of the preaching. I think, I think um, not assuming that people know where they are. Like if, if you come in and I said earlier, if, if, if you have no categories in your mind, not, not, nothing of the story makes sense. Yeah. And I just say, if I shoot up Moses, and then after I shoot up Moses, I bring in Jesus. And you're like, I don't know who Moses is. And in fact, I only heard Jesus as a swear word. Yeah. You need to help that person. So it can be very simple to say, Moses is an Old Testament figure. This is the beginning of the story of God's salvation plan um, to bring to save us. He helped lead the people of Israel in this chapter, in this book. What you've done is to say, okay, I've helped you create the story very briefly. I don't need to spend a lot of time on here because three-quarters of the congregation knows exactly what I'm talking about, but I care about you. Mm-hmm. And I want you to be able to get into the story as well. And then you share the truth. Um, again, I'm not very good at this. I'll admit it's very, very difficult. It sounds difficult. It sounds very <laughs> difficult yeah. to be able to preach to a, a congregation with mature Christians, yeah. a worshiping body of believers where you know they need to be fed and you need to feed them. That's your calling as a pastor to feed the flock and to realize that there's people outside the fold that need to come in. This is a prayer of John 17. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not going to... Um, forget about them. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I do. How does the structure work? Like, cause traditionally it's been like, uh, you have the consistory and the elders and whatnot. Do you guys have uh, a consistory there mm-hmm. at Mercy as well? We and, have uh, six elders, four deacons. Yeah. And then do you do uh, like kind of the small group sort of method or more? Yeah. So then we, then we, the, uh, each elder oversees two small groups. Oh, okay. So, and we invite everybody that's new, that's willing, able, yeah. ready to join a small group to a small group. Okay. And that's new to the faith. Gotcha. But even before a small group, there might like I'm working with a guy named what well, doesn't matter his name. I'm working <laughs> with a guy yeah. for a while now, um, for a number of months. I don't think he's ready for a small group yet. No, right. it'd be just like overwhelming him. Yeah. Another guy said it's overwhelming me. We put him in too early. Gotcha. So it's okay. He's still going. Like, they yeah. love him. Yeah. But well, even they- even training the small group leaders to think to not have in-house conversations or in-house jokes. Yeah. Um, which is very characteristic of people who have been part of a community for a long period of oh, time. Sure. Mm-hmm. To say, okay, watch, watch your in-house talk so that someone who's from the outside, outside, and there we go again, but that someone can be included into the conversation. When their eyes glaze over, maybe step it back a bit. (laughs) And now we're not just talking about doctrine and scripture. We're talking about references to Timothy or to, you know, what happened in Edmonton. Dutch bingo, whatever. Dutch bingo. All of that does not help people who are like, I'm not Dutch and I don't know who Jesus is. Yeah. Full stop. I yeah. do want your boat or cuckoo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, don't like, I, I like your food. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Oh, well, so that it's half an hour and a half. So yeah, we're, we're kind of out of time. We could definitely talk about this well, all day, though. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. Oh, clarion there, man. Then we could walk through oh, that. Yeah, we didn't even get to that. Oh, yeah. Well, it's the other. Yeah. So, yeah. Part two, perhaps, down the road. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And if you're writing more stuff, send it to us. We'd love to read that stuff. Uh, yeah, get it um, out there. So We can definitely share your papers if you. If you're willing to, I think it gives them good insights into your context and into, I think what, what a lot of other churches in our federation are, are heading towards. Cause yeah, um, for sure. This yeah. is, this is not, again, we are a very transient country, mm-hmm. an urbanizing country, a very secular country. Mm-hmm. And I don't care where you live in Canada, you're facing yeah. some of the same norms. These trends are yeah. coming for you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thanks to the millennials. That's it. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> Everybody. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, that's you. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, my generation not much better. Yeah, though. so, uh, yeah, we yeah we really appreciate you coming in. Have a long talk. Uh, 
I think this really helps us out a bit. Yeah. And we learned. Fits in with the conversation learned too, tons. right? It's just yeah. more transparency, more conversation. And yeah. Might I just say sure. a short prayer? To close sure. 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 Fantastic. Let's yeah. go ahead. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. Um, we pray that you were glorified in this. If anything that was said that did not bring glory to your name, please forgive us. Our desire is to have you highly exalted and esteemed. We love you and we love um, your love for us, which is greater than we can possibly imagine. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for salvation and the hope that we have that's eternal. Uh, bless this podcast in every way and allow your word to continue to go out, even in, through these discussions. So the hearts may be challenged, changed, convicted, and there may be transformation for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name do we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. To send us your feedback, email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. Go to our website at realtalkpodcast.ca or follow us on social media on Facebook or Instagram at Real Talk under the handle Reformed Real Talk if you're searching for us and leave us your comments or questions there. We look forward to your feedback as this is what helps us grow as a community and have real conversations. This show is produced by Lucas Holtfluer and Tyler Vanderwood. The music is provided by Calvin Hutton. And that's it for now, folks. Keep having real conversations. We hope you were informed and inspired by this episode. Till next time. Bye-bye.